boils and ghouls. It's time to gather round us, horrifying hunter, petrified Preston, and devilish Dan. Crack open another cursed volume of tales from the crypt. This is Horrors from the Vault. <laughs> Welcome, kitties, to Horrors from the Vault. My name is Horrifying Hunter, and I'll be one of the three shadowy figures leading you into the dark and haunted corridors of this very vault. Tonight, we're cracking open our first tome of Season 2 with Dead Right, an episode all about marrying outside your comfort zone because of the promise of sweet, sweet cash. Big boys and hot chicks only on this episode, please. But before we can venture fully into the vault, let me introduce you to my co-hosts uh joining me as a part of the hot chicks uh what's going on preston oh what an honor yeah man season two let's jump into this thing uh starting off with well we'll talk about the episode as we get in but hey demi moore's there hello demi i know we've got some we're, we're shooting on all cylinders with these these first couple episodes um we're not doing a big launch for season two like we did when the show launched like a month ago, because we, you know, we got to space these things out. I can't give you three episodes all at once, but it is important to note uh, they did copy what they did last season. The first three episodes for season two all did air on the same night, which I thought was pretty interesting. That's cool. I had no idea of that. So that's a that's a fun fact. Yeah, they repeated the formula. So yeah. But you're going to have to come back next week to to hear the next episode. But it's a good one. So stick around. Stick around. Season two's full of gems. Uh, filling in with the uh, hot chick or big boy side. It depends on this <laughs> for that day. What's going on, Devilish Dan? Maybe a little of both. I am a, both a hot chick and a big boy. And a all big in, boy. All in one package. Uh, I'm right there with you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't want to follow the same release format that they did and drop three episodes all at once because that's a lot of work getting all those together and then we got to back it up and let's just do one a week like we've been doing. I know we've uh, we don't really talk too much personal stuff on this show, but you were here in my neck of the woods in Orlando doing Halloween mm -hmm. Horror Nights. Preston just got back from Pasadena and doing the Halloween 45 convention. So we have been thoroughly enjoying our spooky season. Mm -hmm. I got stacked. home. I got home, and it's like been fifty and overcast all week. It's fall as fuck up here. Oh yeah, you're like in the Hubie Halloween mood. <laughs> mm, I, you know me. I love Hubie Halloween. <laughs> uh, Preston, we actually talked about Hubie Halloween, Dan and I, oh, while waiting in line for the Exorcist Believer House at <laughs> Halloween Horror Nights. And uh, he let it slip. He's not part of the Hubie army, so we're gonna we're gonna keep rubbing oh, it in until he is. All fun, right, fair fun enough. sized for the win. Fun size. Nickelodeon Pictures presents Victoria Justice, Johnny Knoxville, and the little fat kid <laughs> in fun sized. And the little fat kid. All right, so let's go ahead and dive into season two, episode one, aired on April twenty first of nineteen ninety. Dead right, and someone who's going to tell you about the story that this episode is based upon. We're going to check in to the House of Horror because we've got to talk all about that sweet, sweet comic inspiration. Petrified Preston, comic books. Let's do it, man. So yeah, this episode might have dropped in 1990, but Shock Suspense Stories number six dropped December 10th of 1952. One of our older comics, I feel like, that we're looking at with this one. And I do have to say, just by looking at the cover of it, I mean, killer cover on this thing. I love the font and the artwork's really cool. Now, to be clear, uh, it doesn't depict the story that we're covering, but 
who knows? Maybe we'll get to that one day, right? So my favorite part, personally, of this comic was ultimately the conclusion, which we'll obviously get to down the road. Uh, This was one of the first stories that we've covered that I could really kind of feel the age on. I feel like these these other ones have done such an amazing job of having this really timeless feeling. I mean, we've said time and time again, God, I cannot believe this thing came out in the early 50s or, or what have you. Um, we do have quite the empowered woman in this story, to say the least. So, I mean, there's that. Uh, she's not a good person at all, really, but she doesn't you know, she doesn't lack empowerment. So at least there's that. Um, you know, our lead of this story, she has kind of seemingly sought out help from Miss Cleo, right? And uh, Miss Cleo's accurate in this story, right? We'll get to the details here in just a little bit. I mean, she says she's going to get fired. She got fired. She says she's going to get hired. She gets hired, right? She told her she was going to run into money, and we'll talk about that. But the artwork, <laughs> yeah, the artwork uh, in this one is certainly serviceable. But here's the thing with it, in my opinion. Unfortunately, there aren't any of those spooky aesthetic things that we love. There's no haunted houses. There's no thunderstorms. Hell, there's no crypt in this story, being in the shock suspense stories. So um, yeah, read it if you would like, but it's absolutely not necessary. I, you know, I say just stick with Demi Moore on this one. You can't go wrong with that really ever. So uh, that's kind of my two cents on the uh, comic inspiration. I would definitely agree with you in the sense of, I don't know, we're going to talk about the episode itself in just a couple minutes, but I think this is by far the biggest improvement from mm. the source material to an episode. Um, I, I think they really upped it, and there's just something about the way that the episode, well, it's a bunch of things. Once again, we'll talk about it in a couple mm-hmm. minutes, but yeah, big improvement from the comic. I wasn't overly impressed with it, and it actually kind of surprised me that this is one that they wanted to do. It just must have been like, hey, we've got a little bit of creative spark. Um, let's dive into it. It, it you, know, you know, reading it on the page, I'm like, huh, this was an interesting pick for them to go right after with season two. I kind of will say, uh, and Dan, you'll probably agree with this if if you kind of read it as well. Like it is very like while I completely agree with you, Hunter, I definitely think the episode is a massive improvement upon the story. I mean, it is like beat for beat the story, though. Like, I mean, they are they are like one for one on so many things. So it's very accurate, uh, you know, as to what the comic is based on. Yeah, this is one that definitely took some artistic flourishes that you could do with TV that you can't in the comic, yeah. like dance sequences, et cetera. Yeah, stuff like true. That. Yeah, um, that really improved upon a fairly generic story. Got it, kind of good twist. But um, the one thing I, I'm glad you brought up was the time period, which apparently is, you know, obviously when it came out in the 1950s, apparently the episode is supposed to be in the 1950s too. And I want to make sure we talk about that mm. as we get into it because uh, I got some issues there. Uh, one other thing I did want to bring yeah. up was uh, the other um, story in the comic that you alluded to, Preston, the one with the KKK members on the cover. <laughs> no or, kidding. Yeah. Or or faux KKK, whatever they're meant to be. Um, instead of reading this story, go read that one, because that is what EC Comics is known for. That's what they got in trouble for is doing stories like that. And mm. I won't ruin the twist ending, but it's not really a twist. It's kind of expected, to be honest with you, but it is dark a dark dark ending um yeah that one's definitely worth a read good call dan yeah again yeah, seriously give people some extra credit work this has been extra credit <laughs> with dan yeah. and uh we expect you to report back if you do the extra credit make sure to write in let us know um but yeah so dan since you're already on a roll why don't we go ahead and check out top billing because you know we've got to talk about some of the names involved with this episode Yeah, we definitely have to talk about uh, some of the creative partners that had uh, a lot to do with this episode. We're going to start off with the writers and directors. The writer, Andy Wolk, not too impressive as a writer, but we're going to mention him anyway. He directed quite a bit of TV, including Arliss and The Sopranos for HBO, which Tales from the Crypt was on. Director, we actually already talked about this boy, uh, Howard Deutsch. Uh, He directed the Only Sin Deep episode. Uh, He's the guy that did Pretty in Pink in the Great Outdoors. So if you want to hear more about him, go back to the Only Sin Deep episode. But the ones we really have to start talking about are the stars. Demi Moore as Kathy. 
She's an 80s and 90s all-star. She was a member of the Brett Pack with people like Rob Lowe, Molly Ringwald, Amelia Estevez, etc., etc. I always put Robert Downey Jr. in there, but he's actually not typically listed as a member online for some reason. Not entirely sure why. Um, she also played Jordan O'Neill in G.I. Jane, uh, not the sequel that got Chris Rock slapped, the original one. <laughs> Uh, Molly and Ghost, uh, and then she did some uh, some pretty racy stuff. Uh, she played Diana in Indecent Proposal, Meredith in Disclosure, and Aaron in Striptease. Which, which go ahead, oh, go ahead. No, go we, ahead. We, go all, ahead. we all want to talk about striptease. I don't remember her getting that naked in that movie, but uh, she probably did. Well, I, I was just going to say, funnily enough, this this kind of serves as the prequel to Striptease, uh, mm-hmm. and we'll we'll get to that plot line uh, in a bit. We will. <laughs> the prequel, you know, if you need a fun night with your television, you can watch this and then you can go watch Striptease. And then follow it up with The Hunchback of Notre Dame, you know, <laughs> as as you do. <laughs> Look at that. That's the way to go about it. Um, you brought up the director, Dan. I will say, um, just because this is probably the best place to bring it up, mm-hmm. um, this is a market improvement uh, oh, yeah. of the last episode. Like, this episode, if... If only Sin Deep had some of these flourishes and, uh, frankly, just the fun that this episode has in it, pretty much front to back, that would be a much better time. And it doesn't hurt that your lead performances are actually watchable in this one. Um, (laughs) That's like a huge part of it as well. But I think just overall, it's a much better directed episode. Yeah, fully agreed. Much more visual flourishes. Uh, It's (laughs) not nearly as... uh, mean and cheesy as the other one was what you talking about it's still a little mean but it's it's uh, a lot more fun with it you can't leave out mr charlie marneau played by jeffrey tambor Uh, a lot of people know him as george bluth senior in arrested development Uh, he's done a ton of voice work for obvious reasons he was in the head one of the heads of the bprd in hellboy one two the mayor in how the grinch stole christmas he got to start as Jeffrey on the Ropers with previous tales from the Crypt star Audra Lindy. Uh, and he's also pretty well known for Hey Now, Hank Kingsley from the Larry Sanders Show. If you're a Howard Stern fan, you've heard that a bunch of times. Might not have known what it's from, but that's what it is. The Larry Sanders Show. Uh, rounding out the actual stars are Natalia Nogulich. Man, that's a hell of a name uh, as Madame Vorna. Uh, She's been in a lot of short TV stints, but she also played Mrs. Shirley, which is Clark's boss's wife in Christmas Vacation, which probably talk about that in a little bit more, too. Maybe in the next episode. I don't know. Uh, And finally, rounding out uh, Troy Evans as the Al, the bartender slash club owner. He is the definition of that one guy from that one thing. Uh, on top of 130 episodes of ER as Frank Martin, he was in such things as Demolition Man, Ace Ventura, The Frighteners, Lawnmower Man, Halloween 5, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, and Twin Peaks. One last guy we want to talk about. Uh, it's become evident this season we might need to start talking about some below-the-line people, such as this week's makeup artist. Greg Canham from Canham Creations. He is a multi-award winner, including five Oscars, which is pretty damn good. Uh, he's got those Oscars for Bram Stoker's Dracula, Mrs. Doubtfire, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, and Vice. So he likes to make people look like... Um, Uh, big fat slobs so we can see that in this episode he also won a special technical achievement award one year Uh, some other movies he's worked on are the mask a nightmare on elm street 3 the dream warriors blade idle hands preston idle hands the lost boys the howling michael jackson's thriller video even though it's uncredited i looked up and he did work on it uh the exorcist 3 which we like to mention as many times as we can and also white chicks so he can make black <laughs> men look vaguely like white women the key word there being vaguely right yeah, <laughs> yeah that's vaguely. right but he he loves transforming people into other people and that's the wow. big takeaway i think he's good he's good at what he does i'll give him that he won yeah. five oscars i've won mm, zero so <laughs> It's coming, Dan. It's coming right. for the horrors from the Volt Potty. We're going to win the first ever podcast award on the Oscars. I can't wait. Yeah. We'll I'm going to take, take my cat. We'll have him do our makeup. We'll all show up as fat slobs. It'll be great. They It'll be the easiest, easiest job he's ever done. <laughs> <laughs> uh. 
And before we can get into the episode itself, we do, of course, have to talk about the Crypt Keeper segment because, guys, we're really getting into what we associate as classic Crypt Keeper here because Fortune Teller Crypty, he's incredible. And just shout out to John Kassir for not only doing the Crypt Keeper voice, but putting the Fortune Teller affliction on top of that it's incredible i love his little outfit i love his rhyming i like his spooky little voice it's just a really fun opening segment and it's like i said it kind of brings us closer to pop culture icon crypt keeper i love when he puts on costumes so this immediately jumped up to the top of my list of favorites oh my gosh yes I i loved it and you're right he clearly is you know, uh, what do we call it? Uh, uh, what's the what's the role he's playing here again? Um, fortune oh, my God. Teller. Fortune teller. There we go. But it kind of gave me like pirate vibes. And I'm like, oh, he looks so cute with his little little, you know, skull cap thing going on there. And I love the eyes, the opening shot. That was super cool. I should have let you flounder there to see what kind of strange title you could come up for. I know. I'm like, tear it, tear it, reader. I, I, uh, uh, future employee. I don't know what, uh, Oracle card performer, uh, gypsy, gypsy camps, uh, enemies. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad we got it. I'm glad you (laughs) first try nailed it. Nailed it. But yeah, it's just a really fun opening segment that, like I said, it just, it feels right. Like this is the little guy that we've been waiting to see. And we've seen little moments of the classic Crypt Keeper, I guess what you would consider the iconic Crypt Keeper pop up. Um, but even the most iconic ones from the last season, like Santa Claus, Crypt Keeper, still kind of creepy, voice is a little different. And even though, you know, he's doing an accent here, it just feels, it feels right. It definitely feels good. Yeah, that voice is high and nasally now compared to how deep it was last season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it yeah. was. And it was, you like you said, Hunter, you nailed it. I mean, you can just tell like, okay, they're, they're having fun with this now. It just, it felt totally different than what we'd seen before. Yeah, there's almost like a, a little bit of looseness in these, you know, because we record these episodes. Sorry to spoil the magic, folks. We record these episodes twice in one go, normally. Um, we'll see if my migraine allows me to get to the second one tonight. But Uh-oh. my my point being, um, <laughs> my point being is we, we record these twice in a row and just being able to these these first two episodes you can see that there's a little bit more looseness it feels a little bit more what am i trying to say here dan you might you might be able to to yeah. uh, summarize what i'm saying here I, I think that they got more comfortable with the tone that they were going for like the first sure. season seemed a little unsure whether they wanted to go full camp or stay on the horror mm-hmm. bent and that they've decided between seasons that we can go full camp with this. I mean, he, he rolls in wearing a, a, a weird costume right away. With the earrings. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Basically in drag. Cause let's, let's face it. He's, you know, he's presenting as a woman, uh, fortune teller. I don't, you know, it looks a lot like Madame Verna later on. So yeah. Yeah. Television terror. Come on guys. It's time to talk about the episode itself. Dear listeners. Have you ever visited a fortune teller? The smell of black amber, nutmeg, and clove, and sandalwood soaking into your nostrils? That's where we find ourselves in 1958 as Kathy Finch, a secretary who dreams of luxury, walks in. We're introduced to the best character of the entire series so far, (laughs) Madame Vorma, and her adorable Jack Russell named Trotsky. Uh, The fortune teller gives Kathy her first prediction. She is going to lose her job today but she will find a new one by the end of that same day. I just want to stop there real quick because Dan, you said something Mm -hmm. that maybe we need to talk about real quick. And that is we don't really establish the time zone until a little bit later on. I think really the only major indication is the gravestone at the end of this episode. Um, There is nothing in this episode that made me say, oh yeah, it's the 1950s, almost the 1960s. What made you might think that, fuck, that's a weird sentence. What might have made you think (laughs) that it was not in the 50s is she's charging $20 for a reading, which I looked up is $255 in 2023 uh, monies. Um, 
I don't know about y'all, but I'm not paying anybody $255 for a <laughs> two minute reading to tell me my future. And then I believe it's on the Tales from the Crypt wiki that I read this, but they were like, she wins a million dollars, which in the mm-hmm. 1950s is oh, an God, astronomical yeah. amount of money, which would not be handed out as any sort of prize. Um, Preston, what was the amount in the comic? It was like 2000 or yeah, something I think, like that. Was it, was it 25,000, Dan? That I could think- be it. I think that's what it was, if I'm not mistaken. Like, and, and just to further your point, it was so funny, Dan, when you mentioned at the beginning of this episode that the, the episode itself takes place in the 50s. I was like, oh, yeah, I guess it does. But I, I literally did not even, I didn't even think about that. So, yeah, just to, just to further that, I, yeah, I'm, I'm right with you guys. It's 25 yeah. grand, by the way. Okay, yeah. 25 grand, yeah. I don't really associate... I'm sure they were around. They had to be, but I don't really associate the the hazy neon glow of late 80s, early 90s titty bars with the 1958 either. That yeah. titty bar is 100% an 80s slash early 90s titty bar. Yeah, there is. Did you see no, the tassels? Come on. Do you yeah. see the hair? Yeah. <laughs> it makes me want to see the malt shop equivalent of a, a stripper den, though. It, it makes me mm. <laughs> a jukebox in the corner. <laughs> Come on. Chuck Berry's there. Everyone's doing the twist. <laughs> True. We get some twists with some tassels, but that's about <laughs> it. Um, yeah. Shout out to Trotsky, though. And Trotsky's awesome. And he's he's awesome. And I mentioned it, the best character of the series. That's kind of a joke, a little bit of embellishment. But the fortune teller, Madame Vorma in this, she is just great. Uh, she is really fun to watch. Whenever she's on screen, she stands out. She's almost like um, the side character that we see in uh, Dig That Cat the uh crap i forget her name but the the girlfriend character um she is incredible in that and kind of steals scenes away from even the really strong lead performances and i feel the same way here about our fortune teller she reminded me of the fortune teller on mall rats a little bit i thought a little bit yeah that the the fact that she actually has the accent she doesn't drop it but like you see her eating animal crackers and exercising in front of the TV. You know, she she's not living the fortune teller life twenty four seven. She's you know she's just a woman that can see the future. Yeah, she's oh, got she a talent. Great. She's good at it, but that doesn't mean she has to deny herself the pleasures of modern living. In the nineteen fifties. In the nineteen fifties. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I think that this is a a pretty good setup. Um, as far as like, we're immediately introduced to our main character here with Kathy. And even though Charlie doesn't show up for a little while, I think just establishing the fortune teller aspect of it, uh, this early on and really, you know, making that the focal point of the episode, I just think it really works. Um, it's just a good setup and I think it's a good basis for a story. It's really good at establishing Charlie late for later too, where you're like, oh, well, she's going to meet this, this man in black and he's going to be rich, but not right away. I wonder what he's going to look like. And then, you know, he shows mm-hmm. up and it's Brendan Fraser from the whale, but. <laughs> <laughs> so Kathy, she leaves the fortune teller. Um, she goes back to work and is promptly fired by her asshole boss for taking over an hour for lunch. And I just want to say that is something I have definitely never done once in my mm-hmm. entire life. I've never, never taken a long lunch. Um, if any of my past or current employers are listening or future employers <laughs> listen to this, I would never take advantage of the time clock. It's just something I wouldn't do. 25 um, minutes. Oh, we, we didn't get you getting fired yet, but 25 minutes. 25 minutes. Come on. Come on. Yep. Come on. However, almost immediately, our fortune teller's first prediction comes true because Kathy literally walks into her net. Uh, her, excuse me. Kathy literally walks into her next gig as a waitress at the local 1950s titty bar or titty performer. I think it's Preston would like to say. <laughs> titty employee. 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 <laughs> There we go. There we are. <laughs> what are your talents? Well, <laughs> um, so recognizing her earlier prediction had come true, she goes back to our fortune teller and asks for another. And Kathy might have lucked out a little bit because her gold dr- digging dreams should be coming true very soon. But the catch is 
She's going to become a full-time chubby chaser to make it happen. She's going to meet the big boy of her nightmares, but he's going to die suddenly and leave her tons of that moolah. Cha-ching, bitch. Yes, Dan. Like, <laughs> nice. Dan like, Dan, like you just said, this is where we are set up into Charlie. And he's, she's like, hey, straight up, you aren't going to dig this guy. He is not going to be your type. You are not going to be all over him. But don't worry. Death is going to occur soon, and he's going to incur. He's going to inherit a lot of money, and then we can all figure it out. And I just like the way that it's phrased in such a way where the mystery and the twist is set up. It's all right there from the beginning, but you expect this to go the very typical tales from the crypt route, right? And I, I just like that they're they're kind of clever about it. Yeah, you know that she's not going to be fully happy with the outcome, but from what Madam Verna says, uh, it sounds like it's going to be pretty good, but uh, yeah. mm-hmm. how, how's the, how are they going to twist it on her? Yeah. And it, it kind of takes that classic, like tales from the crypt thing where it kind of lays something out and then we kind of take it sideways, right? We got to see how it turns out. Yeah. Dear listener, do you suddenly see ripples forming in your nearby beverage of choice? No need to be alarmed. That's just Charlie Marno's fat ass coming to look at some boobs and enjoy a drink or seven. But you know what? While he's there, he meets the woman of his dreams, Kathy. And you know what? She straight up goes, absolutely not. I am not doing this. Just completely disgusted, rejects him flat out and runs full speed. I love that shot of her just running down the streets <laughs> in the alleyways as fast as possible to get away from him. And then Madame Vorma's like, hey, uh, that's your dude. If you want this life of luxury, you're going to have to do it. So she goes to a, a restaurant the next morning with her best friend, uh, mm-hmm. her previous Hold friend on. who was at the employer. Oh, going ahead. Not a restaurant. It's an automat. And I looked this up because I was like, all right, hold on. Automats. Uh, most of them were gone by 1991. So it's definitely not taking place in the 90s. It's definitely taking place in the 50s, <laughs> which it throws the whole timeline off again. So, yeah, it's yeah. Automats were a thing. It's strange. They were uh, basically big rooms that you could buy shit out of vending machines, and then go sit at tables. Cafeteria style. Kind Weird. Of. Yeah, you're you're totally right though. It wasn't a restaurant. It was almost like a hospital that they've willing they, just go to your local Panera. It's close enough to this experience. Automats didn't close down, they evolved like dinosaurs and the birds. They evolved into, into Panera bread. <laughs> into Panera. <laughs> Except for Panera bread's like thirty fucking dollars for two people to eat at now. So fuck Don't Panera. It. And they pissed me off recently. Yeah, I won't get into it. <laughs> it's hospital food. I mean, I kind of want to know what the Panera story is. Preston. Dumbass, dumbass express pickup. Oh, God, don't get me started. <laughs> They're dead to me. They're dead to me. Wow. Well, you heard it. You heard it, Panera. <laughs> it's a Panera. Hars from, from the Vault does not fuck with you no more. <laughs> well, yeah, there goes our possible endorsement. Great. Guys, are you looking for a delicious meal at a cheap price that's super healthy? And would you like to uh, get some drinks for free if the coffee's actually filled for fucking once? Then come to Panera Bread. You can get a gummy ass bagel and some cold coffee if you're lucky and it's not just the dregs. Mm. Panera Bread. We are proud to present Horrors from the Vault. Thank you. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers to that. Where were we? <laughs> Where the uh, hell were we? <laughs> Automats. Oh, we're talking about uh, she met her friend at the Automat. Yeah, she met her best friend who was at the previous her previous place of employment. She's like, "Look, you're gonna have to do this thing." But we do get what is probably the highlight of the episode, which is just Charlie kicking it in multiple different ways. I love seeing his fat ass get like completely reamed by that eighteen wheeler, <laughs> that Mack truck that comes by. <laughs> It's a, I think it's great. I love the little fantasy deaths. That's a great little visual touch that they put in there. And the, the, the truck just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's like, oh, it couldn't be any regular car. It needs to be a Mack truck. And he gets, it's great. Yeah, he gets the Monty Python meaning of life death, too. He's just like, bucket, and he chokes on his dinner and dies. <laughs> Which this, you know, we could talk it with his first introduction, but I was saving it for here because here we get a really good look at that makeup that he's mm-hmm. wearing. And boy, is he hideous. Uh, like 
especially that scene where he is you know having his heart attack and like choking uh he is rough looking um (laughs) but i think there's enough there where there's enough of jeffrey's actual face where you can just it it looks natural but you also know it's an incredible prosthetic and makeup job Mm mm-hmm I had to look up Jeffrey Tambor in the 90s just to remind myself what he actually looks like because in my mind, he's not an attractive gentleman anyway. But yeah, those, those makeup effects are fantastic on him. Well, yeah. and, and one thing I have to make note of, so and you guys, I don't know if you'll agree with this or not, but in the comic, he's described as being awful. But like it really, in my opinion, doesn't come across that bad in the comic to, to the point where I like actually kind of felt for the guy because I'm like, this woman is, is awful. Like how, how mean is this woman? But hilariously in the show, it's like, Oh my God, you know, this is, this is tough. You know, I mean, I mean, she's still not a good person, but damn, that's, that's difficult to to put up with. Yeah. The comic, he looks like just a chunky dude with a bad haircut. Yeah. As a chunky dude with a bad haircut. (laughs) (laughs) I I would like to say, uh, not, not all, not all chunky dudes with bad haircuts would treat you like that baby. Um, (laughs) however, um, I will say that, you know, he's just so good at playing this creep character. Like you said, Preston. And a lot of that goes back to the, uh, sexual misconduct section of Jeffrey's, uh, Wikipedia page. Go. Uh oh, uh, <laughs> he's a creep, but he's charming, just like Jeffrey Tambor in real life. Yeah, <laughs> is is he is he charming in real? He's life? a little charm. That that line about uh, um, lady, you're dating Mister Charlie Marno, Marno, and I'm pleased to meet you. I don't know. There, there's there's something about him. He's he's a little charming, like he's physically unappealing but i, I, I love see. how awkward he is like when he chases her into the next room they're looking in that mirror he's like me and you baby we can't deny what's between us and i'm like what what are you talking about yeah <laughs> <laughs> his tiny little pebble penis oh and i love i love the physicality of the role too where he's just like he he makes you believe that weight is there like he is struggling to get wherever he needs to go and nowhere is that better represented than one of the later scenes but i love that whenever he has to run somewhere he's he does like the whole breathing it's just made me really self-conscious and in fact i went up a bunch of stairs today instead of taking the uh the, the elevator <laughs> so did i yeah um so uh, after that scene of watching Charlie die in those multiple different ways, uh, we get a little bit of booby tassel action. So add that to the count. Four um, boobs with pasties. Okay. One, of which, one of which was Miss Newton, Nebraska, uh, according to the DJ at the strip club. And then I should have noticed that too, Dan, because while watching it earlier, the bartender, I guess the owner, he's kind of like, Oh, that was Miss Nebraska of 1947 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, 1947? That woman be like 60 years old by that point. Um, or 50 years old. But or was no, a really young stripper. Or incredibly young stripper. <laughs> yeah. Things are weird in Nebraska. <laughs> um, you, are you counting the upper muffin top cleavage that we see Demi in in one of the next oh, scenes? No. You have to see uh, like like at least like 70 like the shape of a boob unsupported without bra <laughs> or or uh lingerie décolletage no décolletage what's the what's the what's décolletage it's like a like <laughs> right yeah yeah no 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 just décolletage like full boob um pasties are okay i, I like the uh, I like the specificity there that's oh, good yeah, yeah yeah you gotta have rules so if we got a dick but it's like wrapped in a bandage we can turn it up. <laughs> uh hmm Maybe like a quarter of a dick. We'll see. We'll see. We'll cross that bridge when we get what there. If, what if you can see kind of like the V cut? Oh, <laughs> I'll, I'd probably make note of it. Um, I wouldn't call it a dick, though. It'd be like a nice, nice uh, six pack V or a snail trail or something. Okay. <laughs> snail trail. God. <laughs> um, anyways, after all the booby tassel action, Kathy agrees to go out on a date with charlie so they go enjoy some b-movie horror they go get some chinese food uh they they do end up dancing they have the most incredible night out and i just want to say that charlie with the chinese food 
once again, he plays this role so incredibly that I was actually grossed out when he starts slapping that table. I'm like, gross. Um, this is not anybody that I would ever want to interact with and full credit to him. Yeah. You can do that shit spitting out into your face. Oh, Oh, God. You're hungry 20 minutes later. How do you know? Where, where does that myth come from? Like, are you guys hungry 20 minutes after eating Chinese or not 20 minutes, but maybe hungrier than like, uh, uh, like, I don't know. In a couple of hours, I'm hungry again, but isn't that normal? No more than, yeah, no more than a normal (laughs) meal. I don't get it. It's weird. I kind of want Chinese now, though. Mm. Orange I'm a chicken. Now, but I want some Chinese. Oh, uh, Dan, are you doing a favorite quote for this episode? Because I think mine was a little bit earlier, but I've got to give a mm-hmm. shout out to it right now. Uh, go for it. It's yeah. when uh, he's like, Charlie's like, oh, I'm sorry. I, you know, I'm a little overweight. And then she's yeah. like, just like Hitler Hitler's was a little, a little anti-Semitic. That's mine, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It was so good. And it caught Make us it three. Point. Okay, great, great. This episode, I feel like just trying to play it by the story beats is almost doing this one a disservice. And I didn't have as much like color commentary for this one as I normally do, just because I think the episode itself is actually pretty consistently amusing. And maybe it's not laugh out loud funny, um, but there are lines, especially with the under the breathisms that uh kathy does in this that are just super funny and i think this episode overall has a really high entertainment factor yeah absolutely the 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 performances too you know demi moore is just completely fed up with dealing with this slob the whole time (laughs) she just seems exasperated every time she has one of those lines and jeffrey tambor's like seems to be having the time of his life you know i mean yeah you know, they do their whole date night, and after the most awkward kiss goodnight and a little bit of vomit, she oh. does end up accepting his marriage proposal and finds herself married to the man who definitely gets called Big Boss Man whenever he walks into his local Euro shop. Um, <laughs> I love that scene where they have their first kiss, and then he walks over to the window and she is puking into the sink directly Mm. in front of him and he's like no she loves me she digs me for the man that i am i just couldn't help thinking okay so she because it was no cut between when she closed the door and when she puked like she's she's sipping a can of soup on the off screen and then going over to the sink and (laughs) that that was a good good bit good good call There's just some really fun camera work in here, too. Like, I think it was a little bit earlier, but it's when Kathy is leaving the fortune teller shop for the first time. Oh, yes. I forgot to bring that up. The transition with Trotsky, like biting her, I I guess, like grabbing onto her dress as she's walking out. There's just a lot of really fun little things like that. It's just got this. I, I don't want to reuse the word fun, but it's just got this energy to it that adds to the entertainment factor of this episode. So that shot you're talking about, it's when she's leaving uh, the fortune tellers and she walks through the fortune tellers door and enters through her office door, which is even more clever because Madame Verna has a line that uh, every exit is an entrance to somewhere else. And they literally do Mm. that on the screen, too. I was like, wow, that's good job. How did you make that other episode? And you're capable of shit like that. It's a fair, fair question. Let's just continue to blame Leah Thompson like I did in the award show. Oh, boy. He was the butt of a lot of jokes. Um, So we do find out Kathy is talking to Charlie about the marriage proposal situation. And then he's like, yeah, I got this rich uncle. He owns a factory. Um, I can't ask him for anything, though. And she's like, don't worry about it. You're, You're not going to have to. And that's a big part of why she accepts his wedding. And then or his wedding proposal, we get the incredibly awkward and hilarious scene of them on their honeymoon, uh, which starts the cheek-to-cheek dance sequence slash wedding montage. And in a mo- in a, an episode that actually does have quite a few highlights, there's very, there's very little that's as amusing as this big man and prime Demi Moore <laughs> dancing <laughs> over this entire montage. It's just, it's really fun. And another clever little flourish too. Uh, after this, you hear bits of dancing cheek to cheek within the score, but in like a much more minor tone, which is kind of a cool little, little taste. I actually didn't pick up on that. That's fun. Yep. So we see a little bit of their married life. And uh, sadly, 
three months have passed and nobody's kicking it yet. Uh, Charlie <laughs> hasn't died yet. So she's like, hey, what gives? Uh, why hasn't your uncle died? That has to be what we're talking about. That has to be the predicted thing. And uh, no, that's not the case because Charlie uh, replies that, hey, you know what? He has been hospitalized, but Charlie's not going to take over the factory. He's a lazy, fat slob. <laughs> and because his uncle has several children, uh, he, he's really low on the totem pole. It's just not going to happen. And Kathy <laughs> immediately goes to bed angry. You know, she's like, what the hell? What kind of situation did I get myself into? A family? How dare he what? have a family? Like, I know, right? Hell? And his reaction where he is just so stunned at her, like he's been living, what, what does he say? Like in one of these, in the cheek to cheek scene, he's like, oh, I love the married life. And uh, credit to her. You know, she might be a gold digger, but she's putting in the work over the last <laughs> three months. Yeah, she's just not out spending money. She's actually, you know, taking care of the house and, uh, you know, washing the dishes and making dinner. And he's just sitting there like a big fat slob watching her and complaining about you know not getting enough dessert so the following day after that that unfortunate uncle conversation kathy goes to that automat to buy um you know her morning coffee and a snack when suddenly the confetti falls from the sky and kathy is met by the ceo of that automat and claims that she is the five millionth customer and she wins one million dollars which we've already talked about that if this episode is taking place in 1958. That's an absolutely insane amount of money. I believe it was the <laughs> Tales from the Crypt Wiki, shout out to them again, who was just like, that's the kind of money that would be reserved for government contracts during, <laughs> during that time period. That is not, you know, your local automat giveaway. But this sequence is so weird, and I feel like it's so abrupt from the previous one. And it's it's got this haziness where you're like, this is a dream sequence and it doesn't feel authentic until the next part where she is walking through and she's got all of her shopping bags. It's like, oh, that did actually happen. It did not connect with me at the top uh, or the first watch through that this was a real thing that was happening. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's a good yeah. point. It doesn't feel quite, it does feel like a little off. Um, maybe it's mm -hmm. the, oh, it's, it's the camera angle and the fact like there's so many people in there all of a sudden that you didn't it's really, really see It's a really close up. Yeah, like, it is. Too. Yeah. So Kathy, she's like, hey, you know what? I've done pretty good. I've got my money. But uh, hey, that 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 fortune teller, she's not quite right. So she does return home. Like I said, she's got her shopping bag. She's got her nice dress. She's got her new suitcase. She walks in. She's like, Charlie, you fat slob. She's throwing her stuff in the suitcase. And then uh, Charlie, uh, excuse me, she she calls him a fat, disgusting slob. And Charlie, he's like, wait a minute. He's like sitting there with his Brazilian steak texas day brazil portions and he's like wait a minute you're not gonna leave me come on you you can't you can't do this if i can't have you no one can and she ends up uh dead on the floor as charlie stabs her several times straight through the chest with a mm. very impressive horror movie blood effect i'll add it's it's a nice little it's a nice little drizzle i like that Screaming more times than maybe Mary, Mary Ellen Trainer did in the Santa Claus episode. Just <laughs> that's ah, true. Ah. It's he a does. much less appealing scream, though. It's like the scream that you would hear at like 3 a.m. in your local Walmart, like, <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> like some sort of monster. Yeah, yeah, it's rattled me to my core, to be honest. <laughs> Um, but yes, Kathy is dead. There's our twist. And unfortunately, she did find her fortune. But after all, she was the one that was going to get murdered. So in a weird twist, Charlie ends up inheriting Kathy's winnings, even though he very clearly murdered her. I guess the 50s were weird like that, and they just allowed that to happen. Um, but uh, discovered by the authorities, Charlie's found guilty of second-degree murder and sentenced to the electric chair. And this is where uh, Mr. Ledbetter is in the background, right, Preston? He's just hanging out. You know, he's rubbing his hands together. You're, he's excited. Mm -hmm, you're exactly right. All connected universe here. That's right. The Tales from the Crypt universe. <laughs> so I, we, I, I'd say we, we build the connected universe. Like, let's say that, yeah, that was him. He did it off screen. You didn't see who pulled the trigger or the, uh, not the trigger, the, the switch. Who pulled, who threw the switch? You didn't see it. So it could be him. 
that's fair. Even though that episode takes place in modern times and this was a, nope. an, a period Listen, piece. We've already established that these fucking gears are all a kilter. So <laughs> we, uh, we cut to a television report about the murder and we get to see Charlie get electrocuted somewhat. And we zoom out to see Madame Vorma uh, remarking to herself that, Hey, I am always right. And her next patron walks to the door so i'm here to say she is not a villain she's not a bad character she straight up told you what was going to happen and i like to think that if you went into her shop with good intentions you would leave with a good peace of mind uh i i am not convinced that the fortune teller here is a evil character whatsoever mm, that's the way i like to view it too i like to view it as uh she she knew what was going to happen she just left that out there because she knew demi moore was kind of a bitch mm-hmm yeah, yeah, absolutely. You made your bed. <laughs> Fellas, is it murder if you know someone's going to get murdered, but you need something to watch on television that night, like in two <laughs> weeks, like <laughs> or no. three months? It's not <laughs> like, murder. It's involuntary manslaughter. <laughs> <laughs> and how would they get me? I mean, if you have a clear conscience, that's really all that matters. Prove it. Prove that I knew she was going to die. <laughs> Our closing Crypt Keeper moment, we do come back to fortune teller Crypty, and he gives us our final little words as we close out this episode. And it's more of the same. He gives us another little funny rhyme. And I just do like the way that he gets a little bit of... He, he's meta in the way that the, the horror icons were for the EC comics, where he's like, hey, you know where to find me. Same horror time, same horror place. Uh, come back to the... He doesn't even say HBO. He's like, come back to the network. Yeah. Um, yeah, Notice that. So we can syndicate yeah. it later on and don't have to worry about redoing the scene. Yeah. Can you imagine just AI voice now? Oh, God. Come back and watch me on the Chiller Network. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes, that close out, or excuse me, that closes out dead right. So, Preston, let's pay our last respects on the severed thumbs ranking. What are you giving dead right? I like this man. Well, this was just a this was just a fun episode. It's not one of my favorites, but you know, like we stated, I loved what they took from the pages, which was you know, let's be honest, I think in our opinion kind of a mediocre story and and really did have a lot of fun with it. Um the performers were really good in this and hey, we gave, you know, the director a hard time previously, but but job well done. Uh go ahead and get that uh thumb splitter out long way, of course as we do. I'm going three and a half out of five severed thumbs for uh Dead Right. All right, three and a half. Devilish Dan, where are you on this episode? I'm actually going to go up a little bit higher. I'm going to go four, and that's mostly because of all like the visual and creative flourishes they put in there. They really upgraded from the comic, like Preston said. Um, yeah, just a lot of fun. Uh, great performances, great makeup. Uh, you can see that they already probably have a bigger budget for the series in this season. Uh, so yeah, four big old fat thumbs. Nice. And then for me, Dan, I think I'm actually going to join you. I think that this episode ended up surprising me a little bit. I have seen this episode before, but just watching it a couple of times in preparation for Horrors from the Vault, uh, my respect for it went up a lot. I think it's just incredibly entertaining. It's funny. It's got enough of those classic EC comic isms that made it resonate with me. And I think we have two really strong performances here. So I'm going to I'm going to join you on the four severed thumbs up. We've got some real heavy hitters coming up in season two. And I think that this does stand up uh, towards the top of that. Four thumb club. Yeah. (laughs) Preston, you still got time to change your opinion. I'm just kidding. I'm happy. I'm happy with that. I did like the episode though, as we we said, of course. All right. I do want to thank you for joining us on Horrors from the Vault. Let's slam the book shut because, hey, we got to get out of here. Crypt Keeper's getting upset. He's got to take off his earrings. He's got a he's got jury duty in a little bit. He's got to put on his fun little suit. So, <laughs> Dan, thanks for being here, my man. Yep. Yep. No problem. Dude, uh, let folks know where they can keep up with not only yourself, but Horrors from the Vault. 
Most importantly, keep up with horrors from the vault at Horror Vault Pod at all the fucking social bullshits. Uh, and if you want to email us directly, it's horrorvaultpod at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to just look at me and all my weird shit uh, that I have in my house and my travels and what I eat and put it in my body and then poop out in the toilet. I don't take a picture <laughs> of the poop, but I do take a picture of the food before I poop. Uh, that is at Red Right Dan on Twitter, Instagram, Blue Sky, all the good shit. Petrified Preston, thanks for being here tonight, my man. Let folks know where they can keep up with you. Hey, wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Keep up with me um, on Letterboxd at Preston967. I mean, come on. Heart of Scarathon is rocking, rocking all, or watching, that is, all kinds of good stuff. So, yeah, Letterboxd, of course. Uh, Facebook under Preston Green. You can find me on Twitter at Preston967 as well. Uh, yeah, kind of all over the place, you know. Yeah, yeah. Follow me on Letterboxd too, Daniel P. Sims. I always forget that one. Oh, you're not Red Right Dan on Letterboxd? No, that one's different for some goddamn reason. Huh. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> and if you want to keep up with me, the best place to do so is right here on Horrors from the Vault. You can also find me on Letterboxd at Diz Vincent Price. Again, we want to thank you so much for listening to Horrors from the Vault. Make sure to check out all the other shows on the Neo Zaz Podcast Network. We really appreciate you, and we'll catch you next time down here in the vault. Crypt Keeper, let's get out. It's time to slam the book shut for this episode of Horrors from the Vault. We hope you had a bone-chillingly delightful time. And your depraved souls were satisfied to the macabre cause. Kitties, because the next time you dare to venture into the vault, you might not come back at all. <laughs>